Let's grab our Bibles, and you can begin turning to Job chapter 22. Job 22 this morning. We'll be looking at four chapters today. If you need a Bible or a bulletin, you can see the ushers have already begun coming up and down the aisles. Just shoot your hand up. They would love to supply you with a Bible or a bulletin to, to take notes on. So be sure to get their attention for that. Well, I'm Seth. For those of you who might be newer here, I'm one of the, the elders here at Crossway. Uh, Pastor Josh is uh, taking some, some time to, to be with, with family and enjoy some of that refreshment. So do be remembering and, and praying for, for him during this time. And as you're getting all settled uh, here this morning and getting your Bibles open again to, to Job chapter 22, think with me, if you will, for just a moment on a picture of this, uh, this kind of classic, sometimes a bit comical battle that takes place, maybe sometimes among siblings, perhaps among friends, but especially among spouses. Okay? Among spouses, an argument ensues, or we'll just call it a, a, a heated discussion, if we like that euphemism a little bit better, okay? So uh, things are, are not lining up eye to eye in the way things are being seen. And so point, counterpoint, getting increasingly dug in, wanting to make sure that I'm heard, that you're seeing where I'm coming from, uh, back and forth in that. But then... It always comes to this place after a little time that there's this moment of excruciating pain when really both parties, maybe because one was more right than the other, or at least because you haven't handled yourselves very well in the heated discussion that has gone on, you have that excruciating moment of pain and saying those classic words, I was wrong. I was wrong and maybe and you were right in that. You know, once we're, once we're dug in, kind of tunnel vision, only seeing things one way, boy, it, it makes it hard. You've been making your case so difficult at that point to just eat that humble pie. Oh, it tastes awful, doesn't it, in the, in the moment, at least leading up to that, and maybe as it comes out of your mouth. Well, we're at round Three here this morning with Job and his friends. Only two friends that we get to, to see this morning. We're not quite sure what happens to Zophar if he just uh, gets kind of cut off because Job carries it on from, from there. But Job and his two friends will hear from them. And I think what we're going to observe is a, a kind of widening divide between them. They've already been quite dug in and making their points, haven't they? Uh, no side budging as Job tries to make his defense that he has indeed walked in, in righteousness and holiness before God and his friends saying, look, man, things are out of order in your life. You need to turn. You are way out of line, Job. So that has been their basic positions that they've been taking. And as we're in round three here, you really get the sense that another voice is going to be needed here soon. We won't get to hear that other voice here yet uh, this morning, but it's coming. It's coming. Another voice will come on the scene. And we're getting the sense that we really need it because 
You've experienced this in your own life too, like in the kinds of arguments that I was just detailing. Truth tends to get increasingly blurry when you can only see winning, right? And that's all in your, that's in your sights is, is winning being shown to be right. Boy, the, the truth gets blurry around the edges as, as many kind of true phrases that might be coming out of our mouth that could have their context in a place. It, it gets blurry, at least in context, when all you can see is, is winning. Right things that you might be saying get, get quite stretched. That's a stretch in making that argument. And really, we've been seeing this all along the way in the book of Job. Elements of truth all over the place. I mean, you hear these guys talk and and it's like, boy, yeah, I think I could actually turn to other scriptures. Lots of cross-references and see that what they're saying is, is very right. Just as a standalone statement, oftentimes, all kinds of, of right things that, that uh, we would agree with. Very many elements of, of truth all over this text, again, today, that we're going to, to look at. But nobody, nobody in the, the land of us, that's Job's home, Nobody in the land of, of us seems to be getting much closer to peace or understanding or resolve. Nobody appears to be speaking very carefully, especially anymore, I think, in this third round, or waiting on the Lord. Well, let's, let's look and, and dip into this text together. Now, I just have to, to make the statement ahead of time, kind of like as we've been going through Job's rapid, Job rapidly, right? Several chapters at a time, no difference here. We have this, and so hopefully this week you've, you've taken an opportunity to read the text ahead of time so that you can grab some of the, the context there. And we don't want to be unfair to these guys as we just jump in on bits of the, the text and try to make our points, right? But let's, let's do that together as best we can, dipping into this text a long way and look at some of these Great truths that are indeed right to, to walk in, to, to hold as, as beliefs that we have. Great truths to walk in, like this first one, honor God. Honor God. Anybody want to disagree with that, that you shouldn't be? No, it's all, it's all over Scripture. We understand He is God. We are not. We are called to, to honor Him with our lives. Honor God. We recognize that as a, a good truth to, to walk in. And, and does, does Job, even being the stand-up guy that he is, need to continue to, to hold to this in his, his life and understand this more and more as he, as he walks before the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely, Job needs this. Yet maybe, maybe we observe Job just getting a, a little bit shaky or loose-tongued here as we jump into this third round of discussion with he and his friends. For instance, you might hop in at chapter 23. Look at your Bibles in Job chapter 23, verses 3 through 7. We hear from Job, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he, what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me 
There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge, Job says. Elements of truth to this because we know that the accusations that have been brought against him aren't correct. And, and yet, Job, in his desperation, and we want to continue to meet him in this, in, in the midst of his pain, he's been provoked by his friends over and over again. Desperate situation that he's, he's been in. But as he's walking through this, it, it seems that some of his words are perhaps more self-honoring than God-honoring, maybe kind of pushing the line here a bit, even as the, the real righteous man that we know he's portrayed as at the beginning of this book. So, so we see Job, yes, he, he needs to continue to, to uphold this, this truth and walk in this truth of honoring God, but, but maybe his knees are getting a little wobbly in this as we meet him here this morning. Well, Eliphaz, Eliphaz, that's one of Job's friends that we've been hearing from, Eliphaz, he's a fan of honoring God, no doubt about that, with the words that he has been using all along the way. But we've, we've also kind of seen in, in Eliphaz and the other friends to some extent as, as well, th this kind of metric that he looks at with interacting with God, namely, you honor him, uh, he'll honor you because God's a great deal maker. A, a little bit of that mentality that seems to be happening with, uh, with Eliphaz and his, his other friends. But for instance, we can look at chapter 22. I know we're going backwards here. We're going to be dipping in and out all over this text. Chapter 22, verses 21 through the first part of 23. So 22, 21. Here's Eliphaz speaking to, to Job. He says, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. Eliphaz very much still has in his mind that Job's error is the cause of his pain. And so, Job, just agree. Just agree, Job. Just listen. Just return or repent of your sins. Just be good. And the hurt can all disappear. Seems to be Eliphaz's message to Job. Honor, honor God. Job, just, just honor him and all will be well. Think of how tortuous this must feel to Job at this point when he is not sure exactly what he needs to repent of and he's being promised by his friend just, just shape up Job and all the pain will just disappear from you. So, but Eliphaz, he's a fan of, of honoring God, perhaps very well-meaning in, in what he says about uh, how God needs to be heard. And we would agree with all of those things. Who wants to disagree with, with God? Who, who, who wants to ignore the instruction from God's mouth? Who wants to live this life of unrepentance. No, we're, we're called to these, these things. And so great truths to, to walk in, honoring God. And Eliphaz is the proponent of, of that. Well, Bildad. Bildad is, is pro-honoring God as well. We, we hear that from his mouth and we have along the way. You can, you can tell. Let's jump over all the way to chapter 25. Chapter 25 and, and just 
drop in there on verse 5. 25.5, Bildad says, Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. Job, or uh, Bildad rather, trying to tell Job just how great God is, basically wants him to, to understand God is, is so great and honor-worthy. He's, he's so sovereign and other that he's practically disgusted with the moon and the stars, Bildad says of, of God. Look at this God and honor him, Job. Now again, let's, let's give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Hyperbolic speaking, this, this is poetic form. We know all of those things, and yet the onslaught just keeps on coming to, to Job. Job, you're just not seeing a big enough God, and if you would see him rightly, if you'd recognize that everything around is basically tarnished, all his creation, the, the moon, the stars, I mean, uh, he can't even see those as pure, let alone you, Job. We'll get into some of that here in a bit. Bildad, though, very pro-honoring God, and we would agree, oh, he is indeed a, a great God, far greater than all his creation that he spoke into to being. But is, is that really how we need to understand how to honor God, by thinking of him as almost disgusted with his creation at the same time because he's so great? Again, stretching of the truth, per, perhaps, in order just to be Making that point so dug in, can't see anything any other way because Job just won't listen. So he just keeps speaking. Or, or maybe, maybe in the, in the middle of, of life's provocation and pain, you all feel any of, of that? You feel provoked as you interact with the news, as you hear arguments being made? You ever feel poked at by Neighbors that are maybe hard to, to deal with feel the, the pain in, in, in life that you just don't quite fit here in this world and when you try to, that makes it even worse. Feel those, those things. Maybe, maybe in the middle of life's provocation and pain that, that Job was, was, I'm sure, feeling in such a pronounced way, there's a place for, for waiting on the Lord and surrendering our arguments. It's not that we shouldn't speak. It's not that we shouldn't argue for what is right and extol God with our, our words, but, but maybe a place for, for waiting on him and, and surrendering some of that. Very, very hard to do, especially when we're very persuaded of the things that other people need to understand as well. Very hard to do that, but very Christ is, as well, isn't it? I mean, we could look at examples all over the place of, of where he was one who waited on his, his father. He was one who, instead of just speaking more words, knew how to, to wait on his, his father. For instance, Matthew 26, we find Jesus in the garden where he says, My father, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Christ had desires in that moment and yet knew that place of surrender to his Father in the midst of much pain that had happened and was really about to come, much provocation, even from his closest friends at time. 
not as I will, but as you will. And we look at Christ who has walked in in such a, a way and him drinking the cup of God's wrath shortly following this statement has become our hope, hasn't it? Not deal-making, seeing God as a great deal-maker and we can kind of work something with Him too. Not, not acknowledging Him as some impersonal, maybe somewhat disgusted sovereign. Not in, in those things, but in a surrender to, to Him. Are, are we graciously, we've been talking a lot about Okay, how do, how do we walk through our, our own pain and, and suffering? And how do we help our, our neighbors, uh, those we sit among even this morning? How do we walk well with them in their difficulty? Are we, are we graciously helping one another honor God in, in this way, in, in a Christ-like way, with this kind of hope in this Christ who, who honored his Father perfectly and then drunk that cup of God's wrath? to be our, our hope and salvation. We're graciously helping one another with those things in mind and, and with that kind of, of tenor, waiting on the Lord, resting in Him, trusting Him alongside one another, prayerful with and for one another. That's, that's one of the things that's striking me as I look at this third round of, of arguments. Lots of talking at and to one another not so much recorded here for us at least prayers with and and for one another seeking the lord in all humility we can't do that enough here in this body can we as we seek to walk through mysterious things why this pain why all of this provocation why this this difficulty can we ever really have enough of of humble prayer alongside one another and seeking to, to help one another and, and make good arguments and say right things about God. Let's, let's up our prayers along the way with and for one another. Let's, let's watch ourselves in the, the heated moments of, of just wanting to be right and make our case, whether we're the, the sufferer or the helper. Let's watch ourselves. So great truths to walk in, like honor God. We want to do that. Let's look at another one, a great truth to walk in like live humbly, live humbly. Anybody want to take issue with that? Live humbly? It's all over Scripture, it's, this, is the, this is the thing that we say we, we ought to do before our God. Live humbly, of course. Of course, we want to walk in, in that way alongside one another. That's, that's good. That's right. It's his truth from his word. And, and does Job need to continue to embrace this lesson? No, I, I think he entered into this story with humility, would be characterized in this way. Does he continue to need to, to grow in what it means to, to walk humbly before his God? Of course, he's, he's a human being just like you and I needs that. Uh, but I wonder if we see him perhaps entering this realm of, of prideful self-justification just just a bit, do we, do we see the, the shakiness in, in Job and living humbly perhaps as, as much as we would just want to give him a pass, right? My goodness, what he's, he's been through. But he's going to need words from God to bolster these things for him. So we're just kind of looking ahead of time and thinking about those things and preparing for, for God's further words later in 
the book, but, but look at how the shakiness might start to be developing here in chapter 23, hopping in there again in verse 10. 23.10, we meet Job there. But he knows, talking of God, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold, Job says. So in other words, standing before God himself, when all is said and done, I'll be his golden child, Job says. And again, partly we understand that when it comes to the accusations that are being brought against him, there's lots of truth to that because there hasn't been grounding in the arguments of his friends about how wicked Job has, has been. But in his desperation, maybe, maybe pushing it here again, kind of this picture more of, of some self-justification and pride perhaps creeping in for Job. Well, Eliphaz. Eliphaz, of course, another promoter of humility. We, we see that in his words for, for sure. Look again at Chapter 22, where we find Eliphaz speaking in verses 4 through 9. He's a big promoter of humility. He, he understands that, that man is not God and needs to walk humbly before him. 22, starting in verse 4, he asks Job, Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you? In other words, Job, is it because you, you reverence God so amazingly? that all this has come upon you? Is that why? Almost sarcastic, perhaps. Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. And then he goes on and says, let me count the ways, Job. Things like verse 6, for you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Wow. Wow, all of these things that he brings against Job essentially has to invent Job's wicked deeds so that he can prove his point. Feel the shakiness there of just tunnel vision, just getting your point across, making that argument. Let me count the ways in which you have been wretched, Job. And perhaps if we just jumped into the middle of the story and we didn't have the, the beginning assessment of God on Job's life, we'd say, well, maybe that's the case. But as a matter of fact, there was, there was nobody else like Job in his, his blamelessness. That's why he became this target. He didn't become this target because he had done these things. He became the target because he, in fact, did not walk in these ways. Walked righteously before God. Boy, truth getting really blurry here in Eliphaz and the way he's having to invent Job's wickedness. Bildad, Bildad, of course, thinks humility is the way as well. He's a big fan of humility. Over in 25, kind of getting the pattern here, see, back and forth, maybe just got to turn a page each time. Job chapter 25, verses 2 through 4, Bildad says, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace 
in his high heaven? Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? A lot of that, again, just jumping in. Basic truths about God's greatness and our need for for a a Savior because of our, our sin. None of these things in and of themselves necessarily bad but again Bildad trying to say God is so great at least here man has no hope no comfort Job just hammering 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 because he's so convinced that Job just doesn't think that God is great enough Job you need to understand this humble estate that you are in and live accordingly that's Bildad's message for Job True things out of context misapplied probably largely here from Bildad. Again, wanting to, to give these guys much the, the benefit of the doubt. So unfair, the way we're just kind of jumping in and grabbing their arguments. And my goodness, the, the scripture that, that we have in its fullness that helps us to walk rightly before God. Let's, let's not pick on them too hard, but but rather just uh, understand that we, we want to understand rightly how to walk as sufferers and, and helpers of the same. So, so we might say, again, maybe, maybe in the, in the middle of life's provocation and pain that's always coming, that we're always having to deal with new waves of, maybe in the middle of all that, there is indeed, again, this place for waiting on the Lord and surrendering our ideas very hard to do that once again very hard when there's pain when there are those that maybe we even love and for whatever reason things are just bad for them and we even want it to be better and we're not careful with our words and perhaps waiting on the lord prayerfully alongside them very hard very hard to walk in these ways but also very christ again isn't it very Christ, this call to, to live with humility. And whenever we see humility come from Christ, it should be stunning for us because he is the high and exalted one who ha- has condescended to us. And even in doing so, what a step of humility. But look at this as he goes even lower to his disciples' stinky feet, right? In John chapter 13, you perhaps can remember this or even seen paintings depicting it he says to his disciples after they've had a a meal together you can picture the towel around his waist if i then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet your jesus the example of all humility calling his disciples to humbly live alongside one another his humility jesus humility was personal it was unaccusative it was unsolicited he gave himself in these ways focused on more than just sin filth impurity though he would die to atone for those very things this is the picture of christ and his humility this is what we want to run after if we want to understand this very great truth to walk in of of living humbly we look to our lord we see his 
humility and his call on our lives. And what do we do with this? Are, are we kindly giving up our little bits of status or, or privilege or, or righteous rightness that we think we, we hold for the sake of one another's hope and, and help? Are we willing to, to say, I, I will go low for the sake of my brothers and sisters? We certainly need one another's words. We need to offer wise words to one another. We also need one another's patient, humble presence and service. Will we give that to one another? Again, prayerfully so, coming alongside one another, looking to the source together when there are perhaps mysteries of why there is this pain, why the constant provoking that we feel as we walk through this world. And great truths to walk in, like honor God, like living humbly, good things none of us would argue with. Another, another great truth that I think we'd all uh, agree with here, walk in the truth of teaching depravity, holding to that doctrine. It's a, it's a right doctrine, right understanding that we are thoroughly messed up by sin. That happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we have inherited it and continued to, by choice, participate in it. That is us, the doctrine of depravity. It's essential that we understand that, that, that we walk accordingly. And does, does Job need to receive this truth about humanity? It's kind of a hard one. It's like, ah, oh, but he was a righteous man, but, but yes. Yes, of course he, he needs to continue to, to understand this and, and hold to this truth about the depravity of man and his own depravity and, and need for, for the Lord. We observe him, though, perhaps beginning to, to doubt whether at least depravity and according justice even matters much to God as things continue to play out here, like in chapter 24, jumping in at verse 12, 24 verse 12, we hear Job, his, his argument continues through two chapters here, 23 and 24. So in verse 12 of 24, he says, from out of the city the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one with wrong. Job feels the pain of the fact that, okay, okay, if there is such a, a thing as sin, God doesn't really seem to be calling it out or all that concerned with it. Depravity, okay, yes, but does it even matter? Does it even matter that there's depravity and, and righteousness? Does God do anything either way about these things? Perhaps shakiness for, for Job as his, his pain continues to, to mount. His friends provoke him. Eliphaz, Eliphaz doesn't have any doubts about depravity. He's got, he's got no doubts about uh, the, the problem of, of sin as seen in chapter 22 again. Uh, pick up where we left off last time in the middle of verse 23 through 25. So 22, 23b, he says to Job, if you remove injustice far from your tents, 
If you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, Job, if you'll throw away your gold that you're clutching, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Again, Eliphaz, ever the deal maker, like this is, if God will be your treasure if you'll get rid of your earthly riches, Job. He, he definitely sees depravity as a thing in the world, things like holding on to treasure. He, he so much seems to assume Job's heart motives and his practices again here, insinuating that he's an idolatrous lover of money, lover of gold, again, very inventive to try and prove his point. Don't you just kind of wish Job could pull out his cell phone at that point and show his bank records and how actually he was quite the giving guy? Wouldn't that be great? But, but no, here's, here's Job continuing to receive this provocation as Eliphaz teaches him about the depravity of man, namely his own depravity, your depravity, Job. Bildad, Bildad, he doesn't have a problem with the depravity of man. He says so again. We just have Bildad in chapter 25 in this round. And look again at, again at verse 5, but then let's add to it verse 6. Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. All right, Bildad, strong language here. How do you really feel, Bildad? Tell us how you really feel. And is man shot through with sin? Is his comparison to God infinitely low? Yes, indeed, but, but perhaps he, he dismisses man's dignity and the fact that he's created in the image of God and calling him a mere maggot and worm and adding nothing to that for any hope or comfort or, or means of redemption. No pep talk there from Bildad, right? And, and so here's Job and his his three friends, and, and here's us trying to navigate as well the mysteries of, of God and the, the life's provocation and, and pain, the ongoing onslaught of it as, as one wave after another will hit us through life of these things. Maybe in the middle of all that, again, maybe there's a place for waiting on the Lord. Oh, aren't you eager for his voice in Job? To come through. I'm excited for that. Maybe there's a place for, for waiting on him and surrendering our notions that we might have, wrongly applying that we're going to tend to do when we're just gripping on to our own argument, can only see that, must be heard. Very hard to do that, again, as we exist here in the mysteries of, of, of God and, and see the, the things play out in this world that we just wish would get better and we just wish would make more sense. Things that we just wish would go away. It's very hard, very hard, but again, you know the routine. It's very, very who? It's very Christ. It's very our Lord to, to, to do this. And we hear Peter talk of, of this in 1 Peter 3, 18. 
for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Christ knew every heart. He knew every heart, and he knew every word, and he knew every errant deed. Where our feet have gone, he knew all of these things, and he himself became the undignified one, treated like the maggot, like the worm, that we might have dignity restored as God's children. That's, that's the hope that we have in Christ. So, so yes, Christ very much understands the depravity of man. In fact, died that we could not be punished for that sin, that depravity. We could be restored as his children, having the dignity that he meant for us to have in the, the beginning. 